183329, Three Term Cleveland et al. versus Amy Acton et al., United States of America. Oral argument as follows 20 minutes for the appellants, 5 minutes to be uh, for the amicus, United States of America, 25 minutes for the appellees. May I please the court, Jesse Hill for the appellees. Every court to have considered a law like Ohio HB 214 has seen it for what it is, an unconstitutional ban on pre-viability abortions. As such, it flies in the face of Casey's unambiguous holding that before viability, the state may not prevent any woman from making the ultimate decision whether to end her pregnancy. Welcome to NARAL's The Morning After. Each week, our podcast brings you the latest on reproductive health care, progressive politics, and the fight to keep abortion safe and legal. You can listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, YouTube, and on our website at ProChoiceOhio.org. The program also airs each Friday morning at 9 on WGRN 94.1 in Columbus, Ohio. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at ProChoiceOH. NARAL's The Morning After is a production of NARAL ProChoice Ohio. Enjoy the show. Hey, I'm Gabe. I'm Jamie. <laughs> uh, so we're kind of exhausted today. Uh-huh. Uh, just drove uh, down to Cincinnati and back yesterday. Loads of fun. Yeah. Uh, to hear the oral arguments before the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. Yes, all of them. The whole en banc group of them, not just three judges like most times, every single one of them. Right. Uh, so this is preterm Cleveland versus Amy Acton. Yes. Uh, so preterm obviously is our Cleveland clinic. Yeah, the independent provider up in Cleveland. Yep. Yes, they have brought this lawsuit forward uh, along with ACLU of Ohio and a bunch of the other clinics as co-plaintiffs. So it's it's preterm at all basically yes. mm-hmm. um, versus Acton at all because of course it's all of the state officials who are jerks and. Right. Uh, Amy Acton is Dr. Amy Acton. She is Mike DeWine's uh, director of the Ohio Department of Health. So essentially when it says versus Acton, it's versus Mike DeWine. Yes. Okay. The Department of Health is what regulates all of the clinics. So that's why it's aimed at the Department of Health, because they're the ones who would enforce this law if it were in effect. Right. And the case is on House Bill 214, uh, which is the Down syndrome abortion ban. Yes. As we all know yeah. it. So this is a Kasich abortion ban. Uh, in the case, the state's attorney is Ben Flowers, and he was joined by uh, Alexander Mogri of the U.S. Department of Justice, ironically the Civil Rights Division, Yeah. arguing against your civil rights. Yeah. Preterms attorney, so our side, our hero, is Jesse Hill. She is amazing and wonderful, a professor of law at Case Western. The state's attorney, of course, started out kind of continuing the argument we heard repeatedly through the legislative process on this, that this bill is about discrimination and it is about protecting people with Down syndrome from being dis- discriminated against. Once again, this is like just a completely and totally false narrative around this bill. This bill has absolutely nothing to do with reducing discrimination or, or any of those things. It is 100% about blocking access to abortion care. 
The other point that the state was trying to push is this idea that the concept of this bill, this uh, a ban being an undue burden, which would be an unconstitutional undue burden, they're saying it doesn't apply because a woman can still get an abortion if she doesn't tell her doctor that the reason why is because of this Down syndrome diagnosis. Let's look at what the law does on its face. The law prohibits doctors from knowingly performing abortions that they know are Down syndrome selective. That means every single woman can get an abortion at any point before viability. She may, of course, do so for a reason other than Down syndrome, and she, need, she can even do so because of Down syndrome if her doctor is unaware of her reason. So the state's argument is essentially two-sided <laughs> that contradict, right? <laughs> They're saying... This bill, this uh, you know, th- this idea is is meant to stop discrimination, but it'd be okay if women still got these abortions as long as they don't tell anybody. Yeah, it's it just like, really pick a does, side. Yeah, exactly. Like it really does just does just show that they actually really don't give a crap about any of this process, and they also don't understand about the process. Um, Jesse Hill made an argument in her rebuttal, too, about how doctors don't want to play around with a law that could land them with a felony conviction, land them in jail, and take away their medical license. And that really is the case. It really doesn't matter what the exact letter of the law is. Doctors won't get anywhere close to that because there are so many unknowns and variables in this whole process that could get them charged they're not going to get anywhere near those things. So although the state flippantly talks about how this won't impact access at all, this very much will impact access for these individuals in these circumstances. It's designed to do that. It's designed to be a way to close clinics. Yeah. And just to put fear in doctors. I mean, all of these bills that we talk about continuously on the podcast are just meant to scare doctors into not providing the medical care that their patients need. And to try to shame women and convince them to do something with their health care that they have otherwise chosen. Yeah. Here's another clip to that effect. There's that point of sending the dignity-affirming message to those with Down syndrome. It, in addition to that, may persuade some women to carry these pregnancies to term. And Gonzalez recognized that abortion laws that have that persuasive effect are valid. Women don't need persuading. They can make up their own mind. They have made up their own mind. Well, and it's interesting if you look at actually the history of this issue in the legislature, they did that before they did the ban. A couple of years before it, in a bill that we did not oppose, they actually put some restrictions on what could and couldn't be talked about when it came to telling a person that their pregnancy most likely, they were most likely carrying a fetus that would have Down syndrome. And so, like, they've already tried that coercive messaging, and their coercive messaging didn't work. So they had to move to the ban. So, and again, it's uh, this paternalizing of women and not them not being able to actually make the decisions for themselves that are best for them and their family was so apparent yesterday. Right. Uh, the state got pushback from several members of the court. A significant portion of questions to the state came from Judge Karen Moore. She asked if a doctor could be prosecuted uh, if the doctor doesn't ask the patient uh, mm-hmm. what is the perp- or what is their reason for seeking the abortion. The, the statute prohibits a doctor who knows that a, a uh, an abortion is being performed 
because in whole or in part of a test indicating Down syndrome. So could, could a doctor be prosecuted under this, on the basis of knowledge under the statute if the doctor does not inquire only the woman what her, any of her reasons might be? No, only if the doctor has a subjectively high belief, a subjective belief that it's highly likely that Down syndrome is a motive. So what if the woman is on the older side where the incidence of Down syndrome is more likely? Should a doctor have to inquire of a 45-year-old woman whether or not Down syndrome is a reason for her having an abortion? No, because I don't think that doctor would subjectively have a belief that it's highly likely that that's the reason. So the state is essentially saying that, no, the, the doctor's relationship with the patient is not important here. Yeah, that and also that doctors don't know things. Like, you know, when you're dealing with a patient as a medical provider, you don't just take what the patient is saying to you as the only information you're taking in. You're taking in what they're saying, their body cues, their body language, everything. And that whole idea of highly probable, I mean, it's all so subjective. And so any prosecutor anywhere can charge a doctor and drag them into court. And even if the doctor gets found not guilty, their name is ruined. They're never going to practice medicine, even if they retained their license. So, you know, this is just really opening the door to destroying the doctor-patient relationship, ostracizing providers of abortion care even further than they already are, and prosecuting them willy-nilly if you get prosecutors who just want to attack abortion providers. And we've seen this in other states with women experiencing miscarriages, being charged with laws that should never even apply to their case, and being actually imprisoned. Right. For that, in the case of Purvi Patel. So and the whole idea that, oh, no, they would never get prosecuted. Oh, no, this would never happen is complete BS. 100% BS. Right. The law was meant to be so incredibly flexible. It could apply to many situations mm-hmm. and be used as a tool for prosecutors to attack yeah. doctors. Well, especially, I mean, a Down syndrome test cannot be done until later into pregnancy. So if you're a doctor and you're seeing a 45-year-old woman in your office for a second, you know, a mid to late second trimester procedure, you got to be thinking that there's a high probability that she is in that office for that reason, whether she says it or not. So where is that high probability? I mean, the question the judge asks is exactly right. And yes, that would be enough to say that there's enough evidence that at least in part, this is a decision being made. Because again, this law is not just because 100% because of this diagnosis, it's 100% or any other part. So it can be like 1% of the decision to have an abortion is because of a Down syndrome diagnosis. And that's enough to block access to abortion care. Right. Uh, something that the uh, court is looking at is what... Uh, other states have already done to rule on similar bans, uh, most notably the one in Indiana. Um, It's pretty uh, evident that, you know, the the conservative members on this court would like to uphold this abortion ban. But at the same time, judges are generally not interested in creating a split um, with a separate circuit. So 
they don't want to create some brand new ruling that completely destroys, you know, disrespects, disregards what some other, in this case, Indiana, what some other circuit has already said about the similar thing. Yeah. But in contrast, the state wants them to create that circuit split because that circuit split is why the Supreme Court will take the case. So like in Obergefell, it was a circuit split in the Sixth Circuit that caused that case to go all the way to the Supreme Court. So that's what the state wants. The state wants this case to go all the way up. Wasn't there statute? Um, it had to be. It had to be the reason. It had to be a but-for reason in Indiana. And here, this statute only requires that some portion, some part, of the reason be based on um, Down syndrome. I mean, isn't that a distinction that would make it more likely that the Seventh Circuit case? Would, would that we would come out like the Seventh Circuit case since we have even a lesser showing required. So this was Judge Jane Stranch, and so she's essentially saying, isn't it more likely that this Sixth Circuit Court agrees with Indiana because Ohio's law is so flimsy, saying that a reason can be just a part of a woman's consideration? So again, looking at how the law was written and how how flexible it is how flimsy it is Mm -hmm. that it could be uh it could be bent and she's saying hey we could bend this the other way and just agree with indiana's rule yeah well and i also think um that's actually a big distinction about how this bill looked the first time it got introduced and the second time like you said that this bill was introduced in may and got passed in december but we actually saw the same subject the session before and the bill never got passed and in the first version it was like indiana's that it was 100 percent because it didn't have the or a part of. And so this bill made it much more dangerous um, for people needing abortion care. Right. Uh, Judge Moore also asked uh, about putting a sign up, just warning patients in advance to not talk about the subject. Could a, an abortion facility post a sign if the law remains in effect saying to patients, do not tell us the reasons why you are seeking an abortion? I don't think that would be prohibited, and the reason is Ohio's knowledge uh, statute does not include constructive knowledge. There's an Ohio. Doesn't it say that if you deliberately, if you deliberately avoid finding out, that's knowledge? I thought that's what you just read to us. Deliberately avoid finding out if you begin with a subjective belief that it's highly likely, and in that case, you wouldn't, with any given patient, have a reason to believe it's highly likely the case. So no be a total runaround around the purpose that you have for this statute and doesn't it affront the integrity of the medical profession if they put up a sign don't tell us why you're doing this so we don't have to follow the law that may suggest that we that the state could have done things in a different way perhaps a better way but the relevant question on the underburden test is whether there's a substantial obstacle and unless they can show that there is we win and they haven't made that showing so here the state's saying that their own law could have been written better. They're, I think yeah. they're admitting the fact that this bill was not, it's, it's not serious healthcare policy. It's not serious healthcare policy. It's not well thought out. And because a well thought out, like qu- I'm air quoting this for people who are just listening. Um, you know, if they really wanted it to be a good bill, then they would have added things like Indiana, like, you know, that the 
doctor had to ask the question and all these kind of steps to make it way more clear on what the physician had to do to either break the law or not break the law. But Ohio, because they wanted to be so wishy-washy to, you know, lessen the chances of this getting blocked by the court, really watered it down in a way that just makes it completely unworkable in so many ways. Okay, here comes the best question of the day (laughs) asked by Trump appointee Judge Chad Riedler. Did the General Assembly consider the fact that this would, to some degree, chill the relationship between a woman and her doctor? In other words, there's some incentive for women to not tell their doctors the reason they're getting a significant medical procedure. So uh, there's nothing in the record about that. We don't have the sort of substantial legislative history you see in in, in the federal, with Congress. Yes, it was considered. It was testified upon. House and Senate. Multiple general assemblies. Yes. Yes. I mean, I think we both kind of looked at each other like, uh, I can answer this one. Hey, 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 can I, can I answer that question? I thought I was going to get in trouble for nodding my head so hard in the audience. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yes, they talked about it all the time. Encouraging a patient to keep medical information away from their doctor is the worst idea in healthcare ever. Yes. Doctors need all of the information. They kept arguing, well, it's not really, you know, pertinent to the type of treatment and blah, blah, blah. Keeping information from doctors is not a good idea. Right. This abortion ban and every abortion restriction bill destroys the doctor-patient relationship. Yes. That's puts, like, yeah, it puts the Ohio legislature right there in between the two. <laughs> it's like you in a chair, the doctor across the room, and the legislature sitting right in the middle. Right. Uh, Judge Moore asked about... Uh, the potential for an exception to preserve the health or life of the woman. Is there an exception in this statute for uh, the life or health of the mother? No, because there doesn't need to be. If it's for health of the mother, then if if it's necessary to save her life, she would get the abortion without regard to Down syndrome. Down syndrome is not a but-for cause, and therefore it's not because of. Derive that principle that you're stating that she could get an abortion if it's necessary for her health. From the word because of, which we think requires but-for causation, and here you wouldn't have it. But it says in, even in part. In part because of. So if it's not, it, it, it's not contributing. But it says in whole or in part. So what if? So it's, in par- it's in part, you can have an, a partial cause that is still a but-for cause. If you have many causes, none of which would be individually sufficient, but all of which are required in order for her to dis- make this decision. The state's attorney's response is just 100% incorrect. That would have been correct with the first version of the bill, that the decision had to be solely based on a Down syndrome diagnosis, so that if any other piece came in, it wasn't a sole reason. But with the, um, in part because clause, if the Down syndrome diagnosis, again, is 1% and 99% is this woman's going to die, that 1% still blocks the abortion. This bill has to have a health and life exemption, or it will kill patients in Ohio. Right. The, the Just fact flat that, out. Yeah. The fact that the state is hinging a decision on whether or not to allow a dying woman to receive health care based on it says the words because. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, just we've, let her get care. We've had a patient call. Um, it was after this bill had been introduced and they were confused about what, what access was available. And the, the patient, the fetus had been diagnosed with Down syndrome, but the woman was having health 
complications. And it was because in part of the things that were happening in the pregnancy and in this case, if this bill had been in effect because the Down syndrome piece was a piece of what was happening with her body, she would not have been able to get that procedure. So uh, the state's attorney uh, yielded the microphone to the U.S. Department of Justice uh, mm-hmm. and Alexander McGarry. We hear him now uh, explaining that this protects women from all of these coercive abortions. It protects women from potentially coercive abortion providers by separating them from ones who would uh, seek to influence her choice. That's not a thing. Women are are going to abortion clinics because they've made up their mind. They they've looked you know they've they've made up their own mind. They've looked up a clinic. They've scheduled an appointment. They've had a pre screening phone call. They've scheduled multiple in-person appointments, by the time they walk in the door, the woman knows what she wants. Yes. This isn't coercive. She made up her own mind. She sought out that doctor. The U.S. Department of Justice is creating this fictional coercive doctor. That's not a real thing here. She's a a sad woman who can't make decisions for herself, so obviously the doctor is making it for her. But also, I, I... to take it back to the woman is supposed to not tell the doctor. And, and and the state's arguments, the whole idea was that the Down syndrome diagnosis comes from like another OB and then they go to the abortion provider separately. They keep the diagnosis secret and they get the abortion. So how is in that scenario that the state laid out that the Justice Department, Department was supposed to be supporting, how does that allow for the abortion provider to be, co- like, if somebody's coercing in that, it's that other OB. It's not the abortion provider, but, you know, we wouldn't want to demonize those doctors, just the abortion providers. I mean, his whole thing was stigma, stigma, stigma. It was ridiculous. And he was called out on that. Our next clip is Judge Stranch, uh, who... Uh, accused him and saying your your entire core argument uh, is undermining the integrity of the entire medical profession. I, I, I struggle with the way your brief handled that argument because we are your the core basis is the integrity and reputation of the medical profession. That is your offered rationale. And and your way of saying then that there's not an obstacle says that well what can happen is the first um, provider will know that there has been a test and will then send you to a second provider. But how can a doctor send a woman to a second provider and not provide her medical records or withhold or lie about information? That just seems to me to undercut the whole rationale of acting with integrity. The state's argument, the federal government's argument, is not serious healthcare policy. The most enraging part of that, and I'm going to try not to yell because I really am so annoyed by this whole argument, is the whole rationale and reason why clinics supposedly need a transfer agreement or a doctor with a variance and a doctor signing on to a variance order is to ensure that all of the information moves from the clinic to the hospital in the very rare chance that a patient is transferred from an abortion clinic to a hospital because of a complication. If that clinic doesn't send the entire patient chart, ODH will cite them and fine them 
But here, the state of Ohio, the same state that has to enforce that law, is saying that this doctor over here should not send the medical chart. Right. Two doctors treating one patient shouldn't talk to each other. Yes. (laughs) But in the other case, those two doctors have to talk to each other or that clinic is in serious trouble from the state of Ohio. Like, when they argued that, I about lost it in the room because that is such BS. I... I can't even express how pissed off I am by their like, well, they just don't send the medical record. Are you freaking kidding me? That's not how medicine works. And the state rested. Yes. Now we bring up, you heard her at the beginning, Jesse Hill, uh, our hero attorney, stating the truth. May I please the court, Jesse Hill for the appellees. Every court to have considered a law like Ohio HB 214 has seen it for what it is an unconstitutional ban on pre-viability abortions. As such, it flies in the face of Casey's unambiguous holding that before viability, the state may not prevent any woman from making the ultimate decision whether to end her pregnancy. Now, in a last-ditch attempt to avoid this binding precedent, the state does an about-face. And contrary to its position throughout this litigation, The state now urges this court to believe that HB 214 does not ban any abortions at all because women can evade the law by concealing their reasons for their abortions from their doctors. But the state cannot have it both ways. Either it has banned abortion based on the woman's reason, in which case the law is blatantly unconstitutional, or it has passed a law that does not advance any conceivable state interest and instead cuts off communication between women and their doctors. Even then, the state cannot seriously contend, especially in light of the expansive definition of knowledge under Ohio criminal law, that all women would be able to hide their reasons from their doctors. A series of questions came from Judge Raymond Kethledge. Uh, He was almost Donald Trump's choice to replace Anthony Kennedy on the U.S. Supreme Court. He was pushing the idea that this ban should be left in place and that the women should avoid it by keeping info from her doctor. Why isn't the the answer then that the woman can avoid an undue burden by simply not putting her doctor in the position of violating? If she has the power not to put the doctor in the position of violating, why isn't that a way to say it doesn't impose an undue burden? Your Honor, this court should not judge the constitutionality of the law by the willingness of some women to circumvent the law. And there will be, given the definition of knowledge, there will be some cases where the medical records come to the doctor. Women are referred with medical conditions that require them to bring records. They, or some women may be unwilling to conceal or lie. And then he denies that this abortion ban is even a ban at all. If it is viewed as not a ban, then it's easier to be considered constitutional. Again, many bill sponsors supported the bill because it is an abortion ban. A much bigger, more fundamental question on the table. Whether well, we have the power to address it or not is another question. Um, but that it's not a ban. The state has acknowledged that this law is a ban throughout the litigation. Every court to have looked at a law like this one has seen that it is a ban because it strikes at the very heart of the woman's private complex decision whether to end a pregnancy after a fetal diagnosis. And it is, that is its, its aim, is to take that decision away when, in certain circumstances, and when, when her reason relates to that diagnosis in whole or in part. Professor Hill continues in response to allegations of eugenics from the men on the bench. 
first of all, when, when doctors respect a woman's decision and allow her to make their, that decision for whatever reason, that, that, that either the woman is somehow discriminating or that the doctor is complicit in a form of discrimination. When, again, women make these decisions based on what is best for their families, what is uh, the needs of their existing children, their financial situations. It, to paint with the broad br brush of eugenics or discrimination here is also entirely unwarranted. And then Professor Hill continued. The state can express its views on this matter, as you've suggested, uh, but not by taking the decision away from, Casey says, any woman. So if there is any woman who is banned under Casey, then then the the law is unconstitutional. So yeah, so yesterday was a whole lot. Um, we heard from both sides. Of course, Jesse Hill was way better than the state's attorney, just, you know, personal <laughs> opinion. Um, and, you know, we'll kind of see what happens. Um, we don't think that they're going to do anything on this until actually we hear from the June medical case, which they heard at the Supreme Court last week. Because I think these kind of play off of each other a little bit. Right. Um, but, yeah, it definitely shows that the Sixth Circuit is as conservative as ever, if not even more conservative and really just increases fear about what abortion access is going to look like in Ohio. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week. Bye.